Deuteronomy chapter 24 is where we'll be. And as you turn to it and find it, go ahead and stand. And we do that out of respect for God's word. Um, and there's biblical precedent for that. Not everybody, not everybody does it. It's not a requirement. Um, but I do think it helps us to focus a little bit and, uh, and wakes us up even a little bit. So there may be a practical reason for it. Although I don't get in the sense this morning that you're, that you're not awake. I'm thankful for the spirit today. Deuteronomy 24. And I'd like to begin reading here in a moment in verse 14. You know, sometimes we get to a passage like this in the Old Testament and we think, well, you know, this doesn't really apply to us. It doesn't really relate to us today. But one thing that you ought to do and and I try to do every time you open God's word, understand even if the culture is different and even if the time frame is different, um, the Bible always gives us insight into God's heart. In other words, we can always learn something about God from what we're reading. It may not directly apply in some ways, but you can always get a glimpse into God's mindset and in God's heart when you read God's word. And, but second, this passage does have a lot to, to apply in our lives. And, and we'll see that as we go, because this passage helps us to see how God views people and therefore how we ought to view people. Uh, he views people, by the way, with love. God loves the world. He loved the world so much that he gave his only begotten son. Uh, and I don't know about you, I've never sent one of my children to die, not much less for my, en- for my people I love, but also for my enemies. Now, people that didn't like me. Yet God did that for you and he did that for me. So be, lest we think when you read the Old Testament that God's a God of wrath and God's only a God of justice. He is a God of wrath and justice, but he balances it with love and mercy. And I'm thankful that he loves people and that we can learn something from this passage today. It, 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 it shows us how much God loves people. And this year our theme is Love Works. And uh, we're, not, we're in between series, but I'd like to see this morning a principle that applies to our theme, Love Works. God loves people, and when we love people like God does, it will impact how our works toward other people. So Deuteronomy 4, 24, 14, and it says in verse 14, Thou shalt not oppress an hired servant that is poor and needy, whether he be of thy brethren or of thy strangers that are in thy land within thy gates. At his day thou shalt give him his hire, neither shall the sun go down upon it, for he is poor, and setteth his heart upon it, lest he cry against thee unto the Lord, and it be sin unto thee. The fathers shall not be put to death for the children, neither shall the children be put to death for the fathers. Every man shall be put to death for his own sin. Thou shalt not pervert the judgment of the stranger nor of the fatherless, nor take a widow's raiment to pledge, but thou shalt remember that thou wast a bondman in Egypt, and the Lord thy God redeemed thee thence, therefore I command thee to do this thing. When thou cuttest down thine harvest in thy field, and hast forgot a sheaf in the field, thou shalt not go again to fetch it. It shall be for the stranger, for the fatherless, and for the widow, for that that the Lord thy God may bless thee in all the work of thine hands. When thou beatest thine olive tree, thou shalt not go over the boughs again. It shall be for the stranger, for the fatherless, and for the widow. When thou gatherest the grapes of thy vineyard, thou shalt not glean it afterward. It shall be for the stranger, for the fatherless, and for the widow. And thou shalt remember that thou wast a bondman in the land of Egypt. 
Therefore, I command thee to do this thing. And as you read this text, you get the idea. God cares about the the strangers. God cares about the fatherless. God cares for the widows. He cares for the orphans. God has a love for those. We're going to call this morning the have-nots. And this morning, um, our title today is the haves and the have-nots. There are some that have resources and some that don't. There are essentially two categories of people in this passage. And the haves have a responsibility to the have-nots. To share their resources and share their abundance. And be, but before you think I'm talking physically, um, we have a lot more spiritual gifts and blessings than we do physical blessings. And we have a responsibility to the world. We have a responsibility to those around us as those that are haves to share with the have-nots. And I hope this morning that you'll see this principle as we go through here. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for giving it to us. And I pray that you'd help us to have open hearts and open minds this morning. I pray that you would help us to be submissive to the truth of your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. A few months ago, uh, and I didn't ask uh, his permission for this, but I'm going to tell the story anyway because I've, it's my 45 minutes. So here we go. A few months ago, I was talking to Brother Heath Chambers, and uh, surprise, Brother Heath, um, he was telling me this story about when he was a teenager and, um, and how him and, I don't know exactly how it came about, um, but him and brother Doug Henricks were talking about who was faster. And so brother, brother Heath and brother Doug, they started talking back and forth and they decided in that conversation, let's not just talk about this anymore. Let's actually, let's put our feet to the test and see who is faster. And, uh, you know, so just imagine if, you know, Brother Heath, he's 6'5", and as a teenager, I'm sure he was the epitome of athletic prowess. Right? That's right. First time he's said amen in months. There he is. Just kidding. Then you got Brother Doug, who currently is the epitome of athletic prowess. No, middle age, probably never been asked to be on the cover of track and field. And yeah, Brother Doug was talking about his speed and how fast he is. And, and uh, so Brother Heath felt confident going into the race. And, and, and just imagine this, Brother Heath and Brother Doug, if you know both of them. By the way, does anybody, was anybody present at this foot race? Okay, so not really very many. So I can tell this story however I want, okay? <laughs> so they get out there and they're going to race. The day of the race came, come and sure enough, it wasn't even close. Because brother Doug Henricks left Heath Chambers in the dust. Can you imagine? I asked Doug about it and he very nonchalantly said, oh, I beat him bad. That's all he said. You know, and I wish we had video footage of this moment um, so that we could relive it over and over. You know, I'm sure Heath probably wishes he could forget that moment and the rest of us hope we never do, you know. You know, some things you shouldn't forget. And, and, you know, to make it a little bit more serious, but men, you shouldn't forget your anniversary. You should not forget your wife's birthday. And if you have, I'm surprised you're here today. You shouldn't forget to pay your bills. And you shouldn't forget to change your oil. There are things that you shouldn't forget. But there are also things that you, that you should always remember. Maybe you want to forget something, but, but there are things that you ought to remember. 
And the same is true spiritually. There are some things you wish you could forget in your past. How many with a show of hands say there's decisions I have in my past that I wish I could forget, spiritually speaking. I think every one of us would raise our hand about that. But there are also, though, plenty of things in our past that are so important that we better remember them. We better remember some of the things. And remembrance is, is an important in God's economy. It's an important word to God. If you read the scripture, you, off, you know that he often had the children of Israel set up, uh, he set up stones and set up memorials at, at an important battle site or for an important landmark event as they would cross the Jordan or win a battle or God would provide in a special way. It was something that he wanted them to remember. Many times, even in the New Testament, we're challenged by by way of remembrance, the Bible says, over and over. There are things we ought to remember, like the death of Christ. We do that when we have the Lord's Supper and we remember his death. There are things we ought to remember, like the words of Christ. Don't forget the words of Christ. Don't forget the important doctrines. Well, as you read the book of Deuteronomy, you'll notice that a major theme that Moses uses in the book of Deuteronomy is remembrance. And the book of Deuteronomy is essentially split into three discourses. You've got the first four chapters or so, and Moses says, look back. The idea is you've got to stay connected to where you've come from. And by the way, it's dangerous right now in our country. We're trying to erase a lot of our history, and when you erase your history, you're doomed to repeat it. So don't assume it's okay to just erase it or rewrite it because our history keeps us tethered at times. Moses said, look back in the first few chapters. Then the vast body of the text of Deuteronomy, this second discourse, is look up. And here are the commandments of God. And then the last few chapters are look forward in that there's a future coming. And if you'll look back and remember and you'll look up and obey, then God has blessings for you as you look forward. Moses very often used the idea of remembrance in this book. And as they prepare then now to take the promised land, because we're coming down to the end of Deuteronomy, and right after this is the book of Joshua, where God is going to take them to the promised land, he says, I want you to remember. I want you to remember from where you've come. I want you to remember what it was like. I want you to remember what you were. And as you remember what you were, let that impact how you treat other people. This passage is written to people of means. He talks to masters and he talks to judges and he talks to the wealthy. He starts with the masters in verse 14 and he says, Thou shalt not oppress, look at it, an hired servant that is poor and needy, whether he be of thy brethren or of thy strangers that are in thy land within thy gates. At his day thou shalt give him his hire, neither shall the sun go down upon it, for he is poor and setteth his heart upon it, lest he cry against thee unto the Lord and it be a sin unto thee. Now the idea is, back in these days, very often most people lived day by day for their wages. And so you would work a day and you would get paid your wages at the end of the day. You were a a day higher and and so at the end of the day you would get your wages and you would immediately then usually take those wages and go buy food and supplies for your family, then go home and eat. So if you can imagine what he says here as a master and, and, or employer, if you think of it that way, uh, with this hired servant, he says, don't hold, withhold their, their paychecks. Don't, don't hold it and say, well, I don't really have enough to pay you today because he has his heart set on making that money so that he can provide for his family. 
This is not like us where, you know, we, we have a Costco, we're in a Costco culture and many of us have lots of food stored up or enough to at least to last a few days. And I know that's not true for everyone, but in this culture, uh, they didn't have refrigerators. They didn't have preservation. They didn't have a way to just stock up and have lots of food stored for great lengths of time. So they would very often buy food the same day they made the money and go home and help their family survive. And he says to the masters, think about the poor that work for you. Think about your employees and don't treat them with oppression because they'll be disappointed and you'll be guilty of wrongdoing, he says. He also gives an appeal to the judges in verse 16. He says, the father shall not be put to death for the children. Neither shall the children be put to death for the fathers. Every man shall be put to death for his own sin. Well, now he's talking to the judges. And the judges had control um, there over the court system. And and they would make decisions about punishment. And he says right here in verse 16, he says, there's personal responsibility. And that's something our our nation could use a little bit of of a lesson in these days, isn't it? That personal responsibility. If, if you commit the crime, you are guilty. It is your consequence. It shouldn't have to be somebody else that pays for a crime that you or somebody else committed. He says, teach personal responsibility. You have a, a, a responsibility as a judge to make sure that you judge with discernment. Look what he says in verse 17. Thou shalt not pervert the judgment of the stranger, nor of the fatherless, nor take a widow's raiment to pledge. So he says to the judges, there will be times where there are legal cases um, against someone who doesn't have the means to stand up for themselves. And if you can imagine, if, if there's a, a widow, she, she doesn't have a whole lot of money. Um, uh, her husband has died. She doesn't have extra. Or if there's uh, somebody that's a stranger, they don't have any witnesses that will stand with them. Um, if there, there are these people, the fatherless, the orphans, they don't have anybody to stand up for them. They don't have means. And, and so if a person comes in, he says to the judges, if a person comes in and they don't have the money to pay for a, a court case or they don't have friends to stand up with them as witnesses, um, then it is your responsibility, judges, to make sure that everyone is on equal footing. And yes, they may have a case against somebody or somebody has a case against this widow here and you could sneak maybe behind the ta- under the table and the person with means could say, hey judge, if you'll, if you'll rule in my favor, I've got some money here for you and do this kind of uh, uh, under the table kind of business. And God says to them, no, don't treat people that way. Somebody without means can't stand up for themselves. Somebody without means doesn't have a witness and they don't have the resources. It is your job as a judge to stand up for those. And and, And then he gives the exhortation in verse 18, but thou shalt remember that thou wast a bondman in Egypt. There was a time that you didn't have somebody to stand up for you. There was a time that you didn't have resources. There was a time that you didn't have a friend that would be your witness. And he uses that as an appeal. And then he gives one more appeal to the wealthy. He says in verse 19, when thou cuttest down thine harvest to thy field, in thy field, and, thou, uh, and hast forgot a sheaf in the field, thou shalt not go again to fetch it. It shall be for the stranger, for the fatherless, and for the widow, that the Lord thy God may bless thee in all the work of thine hands. He says, when thou beatest thine olive tree, thou shalt not go over the boughs again. It shall be for the stranger, for the fatherless, and for the widow. When thou gatherest the grapes of thy vineyard, thou shalt not glean it afterward. It shall be for the stranger, for the fatherless, and for the widow. 
And I, I think we're getting the idea that, that he says, if you're wealthy and you have a field and you've got crops and you've got grain, you've got olives, you've got grapes, um, go through it once. But, but the law of gleaning, according to the book of Leviticus and other parts of the law would say, if you've left anything in the field and you say, oh, I left that whole row there or I missed that, that vine or I missed that tree, then rather than going back and making sure you get everything off of what you have, leave it because there are some orphans that don't have money and they can't buy their own food and they need to come through and eat. There's some them widows that, that need some resources and if you're wealthy and you have enough, the idea is you leave it for somebody else. The, the strangers, those from foreign lands, those orphans, those widows, they don't have the opportunity to gather food. Certain crops and produce would be unripe or it would be missed and you need to leave it so that people can eat. And we can spend a lot of time. I, I mean, that's the summary. We can spend a lot of time explaining these concepts. But as a summary, these commandments are illustrations. Listen, as we make this transition, these, uh, these commandments are an illustration of God's heart toward other people. He loves those with less. He loves those that are less fortunate. And he basically says there are two categories of people in this passage. He says there are those over here. These are the haves. These are the people with resources. These are the judges. These are the wealthy. These are the employers or the masters. Then he says there are those that are the have-nots. These are the, the, these are the strangers in the land. These are the widows. These are the fatherless. These are those that don't have resources. And you've got these two, the haves and the have-nots. And what God is doing in this passage is he's helping the have-nots know what their attitude ought to be toward the, toward the haves. He's letting the haves know what their attitude ought to be toward the have-nots. God has always had a special place in his heart for the have-nots. He views the poor with compassion. Every orphan matters to God. Every widow has value to God. Consider this, the fact that he sent his own son, Jesus Christ... As a stranger. Meaning that his son came essentially. I mean he was born without a place to be born. He was born um, in, in, a, in a stall. I mean he was born among the animals. As an adult he says the birds of the air have nests. The foxes have dens. He said the son of man hath not where to lay his head. He was, he was functionally homeless as an adult. Jesus Christ was. Not only that, as a, as a person, at, when he died, um, he had to have someone else offer a place for him to be buried because he didn't even have a place to be buried. Listen, Jesus Christ himself was a stranger in Israel. He didn't have a place to be born. He didn't have a place to lay his head. And he didn't even have a place for his body to be buried. So don't assume that God doesn't care for the strangers when he sent his own son as a stranger to Israel. What a wonderful God of mercy he is. That, that, that the God of heaven, the, the holy God as we heard in the offertory, would have, have the love and the compassion for the have-nots enough to send his son Jesus Christ so that we can stand redeemed. But I just want you to remember these two verses, these two thoughts in verse 18 and 22 that really bring it all together. Verse 18, but thou shalt remember that thou wast a bondman in Egypt. And the Lord thy God redeemed thee thence, therefore I command thee to do this thing. 
Verse 22, and thou shalt remember that thou wast a bondman in the land of Egypt. Therefore, I command thee to do this thing. What he's saying is, folks, listen. He's telling Israel, he's saying, remember, you were slaves. As slaves, you were debtors. As debtors, you, had, you were poor. You had no one to pay your bills. You had no one to step in for you. You lived hand to mouth. As a slave, you had no one to stand up for you. As a slave, you wondered where your next meal would come from. And, and you, I know that you're now a half. Because the children of Israel had been blessed. And God, even in the wilderness, had given them more than they could ever imagine. And now they've got riches and they're about to go take a land and inhabit land. And they will be considered halves the moment they move into the land. He says, I know you used to be halves. but you, I know you're a have, but you used to be a have not. And he says, if you want to have the same kind of compassion that I have for people, it's good for you to remember. Remember how it used to be for you. See, here's God's heart toward people. Have mercy on the have-nots because you used to be one. He gave this message many, many times to, to the children of Israel. Thou, thou shalt neither vex a stranger nor oppress him, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. That theme is repeated over and over in the books of the law. You were strangers. You were bondmen. And listen, it's no different for us. We may be haves, but we used to be have-nots. And I don't just mean physically, although that is true as well. I mean, when you compare, you say, well, I'm not wealthy and I don't have a lot of resources. I don't know that I would call myself a have. Well, compare your wealth. And I said this a few weeks ago. Compare your wealth as an American to the rest of the world. And most every, uh, the average household is in the, I think I read recently, is in the top 4% of all the worldwide wealth. The average American household, even if you don't make very much money um, as an American compared to the rest of the world, that the average uh, household income the rest of the world is just a couple thousand dollars um, uh, by some numbers. And in many countries, it's far, far less than that. So, so don't, don't think that this message doesn't apply to me because I'm not a have. I don't have a lot of resources. Well, physically speaking, you've got more resources than you realize. As Americans, we are haves. But that's not the point of the message today. You see, I'm not focused on wealth. I'm talking about those of us who, have been, who used to be in bondage to sin but have been set free by the blood of Jesus Christ. See, a have is anyone who used to be in bondage, but is now in Jesus Christ. You've got liberty, and you know where you're going when you die. And you have the message of the gospel, uh, both in your, book, in your Bible and at your, at, your, at your fingertips and in your heart and in your words. You know the gospel inside and out. You are a have. You have resources. We may not have great wealth and influence and we may not be able to feed the poor and the needy, but we've been tasked as a local New Testament church to take the gospel, the bread of life, to those who desperately need to be set free. Whether or not you view yourself as a have, you're part of this church and that's part of the Great Commission. We have something greater than food, something more important than olives and grapes. We have truth. And according to John 8, 32, truth is the only thing that sets a man free from bondage. Remembering our former condition will impact our treatment of the have-nots. A while back, my wife and I were running along the river, and, and when the weather gets warm, um, there are folks that come out. And they stay down by the river. The, the homeless population grows there. And, and I saw someone that I would have labeled a have-not. 
And I thought something disparaging to myself. And as soon as I thought it, I'll tell you this, as soon as I thought it, the Lord smote me in my heart and said, if not by the grace, for the grace of God, you might, might be there too. Sometimes you just need to stop and remember where you'd be if God hadn't intervened in your life. You know, I, I'm, I was raised in a Christian home. My dad's a pastor and, and raised by good godly parents who love God and still do and serve God still. My wife raised the same way and we, we are blessed. We've been blessed. I know not everybody has that testimony. And, and I'm not saying that to be condescending. I'm just telling you. My testimony, my story is God has blessed me from the time that I was a baby in church, serving God, being at at church events and and being around missionaries and watching my folks love and serve God. That's been my story. But I do also know that if God hadn't intervened in my dad's life as a teenager and my mom's life, the direction they could have gone. I mean, could have gone I mean, very, of a very different direction. And it's true for me too because I know lots of young people that were raised the same way that I was and as teenagers or young adults started making bad decisions and they're so far away from the way that they were raised. And for me to be judgmental about somebody whose sin has taken them down that path is to neglect the fact that it's only by God's grace that I'm not down that path myself. We all could be. And I I don't just mean physically speaking. I mean the choices of sin that lead somebody to that place. We were all miserable in sin. Listen, we were all in bondage and we had very little hope. We couldn't escape by working harder. We could not pay our way. And just like God tells Israel right here in verse 18, the Lord thy God redeemed the events. It had nothing to do with you. You couldn't have gotten out of Egypt if you'd wanted to. It was God by the blood that redeemed you and brought you out of Egypt. Listen, our only hope of escaping sin was the redemption paid for by our Savior. So just because we have right now doesn't mean we deserve it more than any have not. Just because I've got some resources and just because I looked apart and just because I've been saved doesn't mean that I'm better than somebody else who has it. We're all benefactors of a savior, a redeemer who stepped in and saved us to take us from have nots to haves. Listen, I love the words of that song. Without him, I would be dying. Without him, we'd be enslaved. Without him, life would be worthless. But with Jesus, thank God, we are saved. There are few attitudes worse than someone who receives a great benefit and refuses to pass it along to somebody else. The church in Laodicea was judged harshly by uh, Christ in Revelation 3 because thou sayest I am rich and I am increased with goods and, and I have need of nothing. That was their spirit. And knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. He says, listen, the attitude of forgetting what we were is repulsive to God. He knows what we were and he knows what we would be if he had not stepped in. So look around. I mean, spiritually speaking, us haves are no more deserving of God's grace than a have not. It's only by his grace that we aren't in the other category. So what's the difference? What difference does it make? And why is this so important? Well, because when you remember what you were, it will make you aware of what you ought to be or what you could be, I should say. 
When you remember what you were, it will make you aware of what you could be. In other words, when I stop and think about where my sin might have led me, if God had never intervened in my life, and I consider the trajectory that I was on, it causes me to think I could be there. Remembering what I was helps me to acknowledge where I might be if God had not stepped into my life. And listen, for some of us, the gap is, is very wide from where we used to be and where we are right now. Now, I was saved when I was a nine-year-old kid, and, and, and I, I mean, I got into plenty of trouble, but, but there's not a lot of trouble a nine-year-old kid gets into. Some of you were saved as adults. How many of you were saved after you were 20 years old? Okay, so look around the room. That's quite a, a few. How many of you were saved after 30? Okay, a few. Saved after 40? Okay, not many. Okay, a few. How many of you were saved before the age of 10? Raise your hand. Okay, look around the room. Look, uh, hold your hand real high. Saved before the age of 10. How many of you saved before, between the ages of 10 and 20? Would you raise your hand? Okay, look around the room. By the way, let me just acknowledge the, the numbers right there. See, the, the, the vast majority of folks are reached before adulthood, which means that our children's ministries are vastly and eternally important to the future of somebody's salvation. And we ought to not pull back from reaching children, but we ought to strive to reach more and more, which is why in the next few weeks we're going to be kicking off a bus ministry again. Because we want to reach those in our community. The chances of the likelihood of us reaching people after they're the age of 20 or above is very low as evidence right here by the, in this room. And we want to reach children and not just reach children but reach their families. But the point of, of what I'm saying here is that we, when you remember what you used to be, it will help you to be aware of what you could be if God hadn't stepped in. It doesn't matter how bad you've been though. It doesn't matter how far you've fallen. Let me just tell you this, that Jesus Christ is the ultimate have. He had everything, and he came for the have-nots. He came for you. And you say, I couldn't even raise my hand when you were asking that question. And maybe this morning you say, I'm not a have. I'm not a have. I'm a have-not. And I've never received Christ as my Savior. Today's the day, folks. If you would come and humble yourself, acknowledge your sin and admit that without Jesus, you've got no hope of heaven. You can by faith, place your faith in him. Turn from your sin and look to Jesus. He'll save you this morning. And the ultimate have can help the have-nots in here today. He wants to do that for you. Remembering what you, what you were will help you to acknowledge where you would be without Jesus. Remembering what you were will also help you be what you ought to be. Not only will it help you to remember or acknowledge where you would be, it'll help you be what you ought to be. Meaning that when we remember where we were, it causes us to have compassion on those that are still there. There's a direct connection between our remembrance and compassion for those in bondage. Listen, when you remember what, what you were and you appreciate what God has done for you, you won't view outreach as a chore. You won't view handing out a track as an interruption to your schedule because you remember what it was like and you want somebody else to know what you've experienced. Those who have remembrance have no problem saying, I've been set free from the bondage of sin. That's why I have no problem setting aside a percentage of my income to give to missions so that missionaries can go to the have-nots all around the world. 
And by the way, in this room right here, the vast majority of Eastside members and even some that aren't members of Eastside on a weekly basis set aside a percentage of their income to give directly to missions so that we can support missionaries that go all around the world. Listen, when you remember what you used to be, that's not a chore to you. It's not a too big of a price to pay for you because you know what it's like to be set free from bondage and you know what it's like to be free in Christ and you say it is a small price to pay for me to give a percentage of my income so that I can help send a missionary to somebody who's a have not. The vast majority of our folks do that and I pray that if you get involved at Eastside that you would do the same because when you remember what you were it becomes a pleasure it's not a chore. When you remember what you were, it helps you at work to be more bold because you're like, I want them to know what I have. It helps you to knock on your neighbor's door, go over to your neighbor when you see him outside and say, I want them to have what I have. Listen, when you remember, it should cause some of us in here to think, I'll give my life to tell people if that's what it takes. And we need more folks from Eastside that would be willing to say, I'd give my life to take the gospel to somebody who hasn't heard because that's the kind of difference it made in my life. And you might even say today, that's extreme. Well, not really. Not when you think about the difference Jesus Christ has made in your life. Can you put a price tag on spiritual freedom? And I don't think so. Listen, the more you remember, the more you'll love. And the more you love, the more you'll give so that others can be set free. That's the process that God gives us here. If you remember what you were, you will have a heart for those in bondage. And just to illustrate this real simply today, I just want to just to uh, just have just very simply today. I want to bring a couple of guys up here. I'm going to have you four guys right here from Timmy I'm down to Colin. You guys come up here. Speaking of have-nots, you know. God really helps us. Okay, so just come stand right here in the middle. And I, I'm going to give you, I just, I, 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 want you to, I want you to get the idea of how we should view people, okay? So let's say that you're at, you're, at, you're at the store, you're at Walmart, and your checker, and by the way, we've had this happen where people come from the store because somebody invited them to the east side, and that's a blessing when it happens. But, you know, you're a checker and, or you're with your checker and you're in a hurry and maybe the kids are making noise and, and you just want to get, if you've taken the kids to Walmart, you know the stress it can be, right? So the kids are being noisy and they're, and they're causing, you know, they're just kind of, you're ready to pull your hair out and get home, okay? And so the checker at Walmart, which by the way, this is a good reason not to always use self-checkout because that contact that you have with a checker might change their eternity if you give them a track. So the checker is checking you out and ringing up your stuff and, and you just want to get home. But, but, but in your mind, you've asked God to help you to be a witness. And of all the things that you could remember in that moment, the one thing that will help you the most is if you stop looking at that checker as a checker and you start to realize, wait a second, that checker, if he could talk to me and, or, and, or say something, he would say, you used to be me. You know, so yes, I'm, I'm ringing up your, your items. But in the end, what should cause you to stop and think about their soul is the fact that you used to be exactly like they are. You used to be in their same position. You used to not know Jesus Christ. 
and somebody somewhere along the way stopped and told you about Jesus Christ. And, and when you're, maybe you're at, uh, you're in your neighborhood and you're walking the dog and there's a new neighbor and, and you, you're like, well, I've got some things I need to do and your neighbor and you cross paths and you really just need to get going where you need to go. And of all the things that is going to help you to stop and actually talk to them about Jesus is if you assign them this label. It's the same one every time, by the way. You used to be me. And when you realize or remember that you used to be the neighbor that was without Jesus Christ. You used to be the person that nobody had told about Jesus and yet somebody one day stopped and told you. It gives you a whole different perspective on, on you being a witness when you see your neighbors. And maybe you're at church and there's a new Christian and this new Christian you know, doesn't know a whole lot and sometimes maybe us, us established seasoned Christians can maybe be a little bit um, I don't know, frustrated or, you know, this person doesn't know and, you know, they're, they're high maintenance, they require a lot of help and they're requiring a lot of attention. And, and, but when you remember that you used to be the new Christian who didn't know anything, you used to be the young Christian who nobody had taught about raising kids and nobody had taught about, you know, how to dress for church and nobody had taught about how to be a good wife or a good husband and all of these things that, that somebody had to teach you. And when you remember that and you, and you say, if they could talk to me, they would say, you used to be me. And it'll change the way that you treat a new Christian or a new believer at church because you remember they're no different than I was at that stage. And, and when you're asked to come and maybe knock on some doors and go out and take the gospel to the community and you drive past home after home after home and you say, I know I need to, but man, Saturdays, it's my day off. I don't have a whole lot of time and I'm not really sure, you know, that I can afford to do this. But if you'll stop thinking about it as an interruption to your schedule and realize that behind every door in your neighborhood, in our city, in our community are people that are saying, if they could, you used to be me you used to be the one that was behind the door with nobody telling them about Jesus you used to be just like me and folks we need to get over this thought um, that we are what we are because we've made ourselves that way no without Jesus Christ we would be nothing like we are the only reason we're halves is because God sent Jesus to love the have-nots. And by coming to this planet to die for our, on a cross for our sins, he transformed us from people with nothing spiritually to people with eternal riches in Jesus Christ. And it's time for us to stop. You guys can be seated. Thank you. It's time for us to stop viewing ourselves as the reason we are what we are and just remember Remember what it was like. You remember the bondage you had to sin? Do you remember what the long nights of guilt? Do you remember wondering if you'd ever have joy? Do you remember it, what it was like to feel like you'd never have hope? Do you remember? Do you, can you remember? 
I mean, I was nine years old, but folks, I remember. I remember before I got saved, feeling like I was the worst person in the world and that God couldn't save me because of my sin. I remember not being able to sleep as a nine-year-old boy. I remember the feelings that if I die today, I'm going to go to hell. I remember the guilt. I remember the bondage. I remember the hopelessness. And I was just nine years old. Some of you can really remember. But you know what else you need to remember is that you can remember the day you found freedom in Christ. And when you remember what you could be and and you remember what you ought to be, then all you should be able to think is this. I'm a have, but I'm only a have because the have loved this have not. And it is my duty and responsibility to take what I have to the have nots around me. Jesus Christ left everything for this have not. He gave everything for this have not. And for me to sit on that information would be the most ungrateful, unthankful thing I can think of. I did some reading about Harriet Tubman. And many of you know her name. She was a key conductor on the Underground Railroad and uh, leading up to the Civil War. And what do you suppose made her so passionate about seeing slaves set free? Was it their skin color? Was it the pay? Was it the notoriety or fame? And was it the, the rush of excitement, you know, by risking it all? Well, by her own testimony, Harriet Tubman said, now I've been free, I know what a dreadful condition slavery is. I've seen hundreds of escaped slaves, but I never saw one who was willing to go back and be one. You know the reason Harriet Tubman was so passionate is because she had experienced what it was to be a have-not. And she had experienced what it was to be a have. And by experiencing it both, both of them, she had a real passion for the ones that were still over in this category. And if you've been saved, you know what it's like to be a have-not in bondage. And you know what it is to be a have free in Jesus Christ. And the only natural response, folks, for the people that have experienced both is to say, I'll give my life so that the have-nots can experience what I get to experience. Some things you wish you could forget, but some things you better remember. Listen, our compassion for the lost is directly connected to our remembrance of sin's bondage. Those who forget you're going to stop giving. Those who forget, you're going to stop going. Those who forget, you're going to stop telling. Those who forget, you're going to stop caring. Those who forget, you're going to stop loving. But those who remember will give their lives to the cause. This morning, my challenge to you, Eastside Baptist Church, is remember. Remember what you were remember what being a have not is like and let that every day challenge you to speak to your neighbor and to speak to the cashier and to give to missions and to love people you've never met because you want them to experience what you've been able to experience and to the have nots in this room you say 
I'm not saved. I, I think if I died today, I wouldn't be on my way to heaven. Jesus came for your condition. And he came to die on a cross so that if you die today, you can be in heaven for eternity. He can transform you this morning from a have-not to a have. All it takes on your part is faith in Jesus Christ. And if you be willing to place your faith in him this morning, you can. Christian, have you forgotten what you were? Has your heart for people started to kind of disintegrate, fade away? It's time for us to remember so that we can love people the way that God loves people. Let's stand together. I think the challenge is clear this morning that we ought to love people enough to get really involved and engaged in outreach. But maybe for you this morning, you just need to come and say, God, I have forgotten. I don't think about it very much anymore. I forget how, how hard it was, how bad it was. I forget. I just choose not to remember that the, the moments that, that I felt hopeless And I just want to say thank you. Thank you for freeing me. Thank you for freeing me from bondage. Maybe this morning that's what you need to just do business with the Lord about. Maybe this morning you need to do business with the Lord about outreach. Say, I need to get more involved in telling others because I know what it's like on both sides. Maybe this morning you're one of those that says, I don't think I can raise my hand about being saved. I'm not sure. And you say, but I'd like to know. Listen, you can respond this morning. Just come forward. We've got men and women that love to pray with you and show you from God's word how you can be saved. Listen, I do believe this principle can help us. It can help us to be better disciples if we'll simply remember. Let's take some time to remember. God, thank you for the truth. I pray that you'd help it this morning. Help us. Uh, to be engaged in it. And I pray that you would speak to our hearts about what difference this ought to make in our lives this morning. Help us to reach others and with a heart of compassion that you have. But also, Lord, help us um, to, if there are folks in here today that aren't saved, God, would you give them the courage? Help them to step out and just say, I, I need to place my faith in Jesus before I leave because I'm a have-not and I want to be a have God, however you want to do business in our hearts, I pray that we wouldn't, just because we're maybe uh, afraid or lacking some courage, that you would help us to step out and do business as we need to this morning. Pray for these things in Jesus' name.